you were the best student in the class or told your boss that you were the best salesman, told the manager at Krispy Kreme that you're the best donut eater. Ever, ever done that? No? Just me, huh? Okay. We've all had a moment somewhere where we've bragged about something, but what about social media? What about online? Have you ever bragged online? I saw a list of humble brags from Post uh, this week. It's a collection of a lot of different things, some of them by famous men and women, uh, others not. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of take all of their answers and kind of compile them, some of the things they said, and then some of the ideas behind what they said, and have one big brag, okay? So here it goes. Now, I'm, I'm going to be fair because there were men and women that were posting these things, so I'm going to do a female voice for part of this, and I'm going to do a male voice for the other part, all right? So we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, here we go. Here's the big brag. Listening to my voice on TV is so painful. It's kind of like being recognized in public like a gazillion times a day. There's so many cameras flashing in my face yesterday. I got turned around and walked through the wrong door at Tiffany's. So awkward. You know, I'm still amazed that I can be in London and Paris and the Cheesecake Factory in Boise, Idaho, all on the same day. Go me. On the downside, this week I had to pay for a mansion tax and I had to pay six speeding tickets. I guess buying that second Ferrari wasn't such a great idea after all. But on a positive note, I did something very selfless this morning. I volunteered to autograph a picture of me for a charity auction. I just can't get over that people really want my autograph. Those are all humble brags. A little off-kilter. Someone responded to one of those. It was a a volunteering thing where they were talking about this great charity work that they had done. And somebody responded and said, that's great what you did, but how's your arm? The volunteer posted back, what do you mean? Oh, well, I thought you broke it, patting yourself on the back. That's snarky, but it's funny. (laughs) So feel free to use it this week. Is there a great way to brag? I mean, that sounds weird, right? Is there a great way to brag? Is there a great way to boast? Is there a way to brag so that in the most difficult moment of your life, you can find hope? That that sounds like a strange brag, but there is. There is a way to brag to help your heart find hope in the most difficult, terrible, troubling, tragic moments of life. So what is this brag? Let's find out. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. About 600 years before Jesus was born, God gave the prophet Jeremiah a message for the people. And what was the message? Well, the people of God, the church-going folks, they had kind of made God kind of a religious trinket. You know, a, a Christian t-shirt, a Christian bumper sticker, a Christian magnet. They had made God just this activity on Sunday morning, just a a nice Christian service or or a, a nice summer activity, just Christian things. 
And that's all it was. It was it was surface stuff. Because for the most part, they were doing life on their own. But they were managing life on their own. They were educated. They owned their own houses. They were raising families. Some of them had fought in battle. They volunteered in the village. They had some experience in business. They had some experience in life. And they knew what needed to be done. And they knew how to do it. So the idea of turning to God, it was noble, it was nice, but it wasn't necessary. They had everything under control. Well, bless their heart. Aren't you glad that none of us are like that anymore, right? They were trying to say that they could take care of all of it, that they didn't really need God. There's a story told about a a dog that was bragging to his friends one day. He's like, man... I'm fast. I mean, crazy fast. About that time, this rabbit came flying by. So the dog jumped up, took off after the rabbit. Well, he's running as hard as he can. That rabbit turned around, saw him on his heels, took off. He was gone, nowhere near. Dog came back, sat down with his buddies. They're all laughing at him. (laughs) We thought you said you were fast. He said, fellas, remember this. I was just running for dinner but the rabbit was running for his life. Different kind of running. So what are you running to in life? Where is your confidence? Where where is your source of strength? When things fall apart, where's the first place you run? Where's the first person you run to? What's the first thing you run to? Just take an evaluation of your life. Is it your money? Is it your education? Is it your experience, your your talents, your abilities? Is it things that you own? Is it people you know? Is it your connections or your accomplishments? What, What is it that you turn to immediately when everything begins to fall apart? When you're struggling and you're looking for answers, where do you turn? Where is your confidence? This message that God is sending to Jeremiah, he's addressing this concept of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. It's an attitude that says, if it's to be, it's up to me. But how does the Bible look at self-sufficiency and self-reliance, that, that sense of kind of prideful independence? I mean, when we look in the Bible, do we see that self-reliance is usually spoken of in a positive way or in a negative way? I mean, do we see the Bible as a whole teaching us that our primary purpose in life is to have a lot of confidence in ourselves, a lot of confidence in what we own and and what we have and what we're able to do? Is that the message that the Bible sends, or is there a different message it sends? This moment of time, in this moment in history, 600 years before Jesus was born, the church-going folks, the the people of God, their confidence was in themselves. They put their confidence in their wisdom and their strength and their possessions and their abilities and their money. They put their confidence in who they were and what they were doing. And so God's response to those people is, Jeremiah, I've got a, a message. And the message is this. If you are wise, you will not do that. 
If you are wise, you will not boast about yourself. If you are wise, you will not brag about your wisdom or your experience. You won't brag about your possessions or your abilities. You won't brag about the history of your family or your connections. You will not brag about you and what you have. In other words, God's saying if you're wise, if you're wise, you will not be self-reliant. You will not act self-reliant. If you're wise, you will not act and live like it depends on you and that you are self-sufficient and that you have control of things. If you're wise, God says you won't do that. Now, the opposite would also be true, right? If you are ignorant, if you are immature, then you will act self-reliant. You will act self-sufficient. You will brag about your wisdom and your possessions and your abilities and your family and your connections and your accomplishments and your money and what you own. You'll brag about those things if you are ignorant and immature. That's, that's the message God is sending. A realtor friend told me years ago, he said, if you're driving through a neighborhood and you see a house that you really like in the middle of the day, be sure to ride back by it at night. He said, houses look different at night. <laughs> He said, things are just different at night. In a similar way, somebody said this, don't place too much confidence in the man or woman who boasts of being as honest as the day is long. Wait until you meet them at night. In other words, that's just a really nice way to say nobody's perfect. <laughs> no one lives up to their own hype. They just don't. They can't. They can't live up to their own hype. Why? Well, because of the danger behind the hype. See, the danger behind saying that, that it is all about who you are and what you've accomplished and how strong you are and what you own or your experience or any of those things, the danger is this, that tomorrow you could lose everything that you have in the stock market. And it would be foolish for you to sit at lunch and say, I'm a great investor. <laughs> That'd be a strange brag. Or fire or a tornado or a flood or an earthquake might ruin your yard and your house. It would be foolish tomorrow at breakfast to say, I am the yard of the month, you know. Boy, I'm, I got it going on. Or you might get beat up and, and left for dead on the side of the road. And it would be foolish for you to brag about your strength and your resourcefulness. In other words, the, the reality is in every moment of life, we're reminded that what we have is outside of ourselves 100% of the time. It's been said the Apostle Paul had the equivalent of, of two PhDs, very educated, and he was standing one day in a community in front of the most educated and important men in the community, the, the educators and the, the community leaders, the politicians, they were all there. And this is what he said to them, Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. All things. Whatever wisdom, whatever strength, whatever possessions, whatever money, whatever it is that you have, it reflects first and most the goodness and kindness of God to you. It's a reflection of God's grace, His mercy, His kindness in you. No one has bootstraps. 
We only have mercy straps. We only have grace straps. We are what we are. We have what we have. Who we are is a reflection of the goodness and kindness of God. Think about it. Just think about it. It it would take what? One failed test, maybe? One fight at school? One unwise relationship? It might take something as simple as a decision behind the wheel of a car. It might be something like an assignment change in your military career. It could be that a family member suddenly dies, or it could be just a swipe of your phone, and everything could change, right? I mean, it could all change. Everything could be different. I mean, in in a moment, we could have a whole detour in life where we become homeless, desperate, or even dead. Well, that's why we go to Holland Avenue. They're so encouraging with all this good news. We don't like to say that, but it's true. You know, it's true. So many things can change in a moment. What we have, who we are, what we're able to do, it's a reflection of God's goodness and His kindness in our life. Or maybe look at it from another angle. Maybe you say, well, I don't have a lot of money, and I don't feel really wise, and and I don't feel really strong. And so, in times like that, what do we do? We start thinking things like this. Well, man, if if I had just gone to school a little more, you know, if I was a little smarter, then I might be able to, to handle things better. Or if I was a little stronger, then I might be able to handle things better. Or if I just had a little more money, I think everything would be okay. But you know what all that is? That's still us pursuing a life of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. It's us still saying, well, if I could just do a little more, if I could just have a little more, then things would be better. And here's the thing about a self-reliant life. Here's the thing about a self-sufficient life. It will not satisfy you. It won't. It won't satisfy you. Whatever is that extra thing that you want, it won't satisfy. Because we're not made to be satisfied with those things. We're made to be satisfied with God. Billionaire Warren Buffett said this, if you were a jerk before, you'll be a bigger jerk with a billion dollars. (laughs) He's been there. He probably knows. God tells Jeremiah, look, I need you to give the people a message. I need you to tell them something for me. And and what I need you to tell them is this. Please tell them to stop being so self-reliant. Tell them to stop acting so self-sufficient. Tell them to stop living in that way because it is so ignorant and so immature. Tell them to stop worshiping themselves. So worshiping what they have or what they're able to do because they're worshiping them instead of they're worshiping me. And when you're not worshiping me, it never works out good. That's what we shouldn't do. So what should we do? Well, God tells us, verse 24, But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. You need to boast about something? You need to brag about something? You you just got to brag about something? Okay, fine. You can brag about something, but here's the thing. The only ultimate thing in the world that has any value of bragging is this. I know God. I know the Lord of hosts. I know the God of Israel. I know the only one who was and is and is to come. That is the only brag that has legs. It's the only brag that sticks. 
Because there is no one like God. No one. But why does it matter for you to be able to boast about God and to know God in that way? Well, somebody said this, what you brag about is what you count on. Just do the math in your mind right there. What you brag about, what you boast about, is what you count on. So if you brag about your strength, or if you brag about your money, or if you brag about your education, or if you brag about your experience, if you brag about your family, whatever it is, that's what you count on. So what you boast in is, is what you count on. So what are you counting on today? What are you counting on? Where, where's your ultimate confidence today? If we were to ask your husband or your wife or your kids or your grandkids or the people you work with or people in your neighborhood, what would we hear with that question? Hey, what do they believe in? What do they have confidence in? What, what do they trust in? What do they turn to? Who do they turn to first and most in life? What kind of answers would we get? Would they see someone who's turning to God first and most or would they see people turning to themselves or turning to other things? Elizabeth Elliot said this, Growth in the Christian life is the process of destroying our idols one by one. Destroying, that's how you grow as a Christian. Let's just have some fun with this. How many of you have been a Christian? Uh, ooh, let's have some fun. I like this. How many of you have been a Christian more than 30 years? How many of you have been a Christian more than 20 years? I guess that would be the rest of us. Sorry. I didn't see, this wasn't in my notes, so we shouldn't do it. It involves math. Let's don't do that. Okay, here's the deal. If you've been a Christian for any number of time, 30 years or 30 days, um, you should have less idols. You know, We should have less idols. That's part of what it means to grow as a Christian. As we grow as a believer, we should have fewer idols than we've had before. I was preaching through a book of the Bible years ago at one of the churches I pastored. Actually, my first church, come think of it. And uh, one of the ladies was like, you know, there are other books besides 1 Corinthians, you know. You know we don't have to only go from there. I was like, I know, I know, I know. She goes, but I don't understand the Bible like you do. And I was like, well, how long have you been a Christian? She goes, oh, I've been a Christian since, you know, I was, you know, 10 years old. And I was like, well, you don't have to tell me how old you are now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that means you've been a Christian for more than 60 years. I think you should know the Bible better than me. She looked at me like it was the craziest thing she'd ever heard in her life. I was like, look, I've only been studying the Bible about 10 years. I said, you've got a couple of years on me. Listen, we should know God's word as we grow in Christ, as we age in the Lord. And we should be tearing down idols. It's how we grow. So just, again, looking at your life, if you're looking at the mirror, are you an idol basher right now? Are you tearing down and destroying idols in your life? Or are you building idols every day and clinging to idols that you've had for years? God's writing to the people. He says, Jeremiah, I need you to tell them they need to break down those idols. Because again, we can't take those idols with us, right? I mean, we know that, right? I saw a story once about a lady who was speaking to a widow, and she noticed that she had this gorgeous diamond ring on. And the lady said, wow, that, that ring is beautiful. And the widow said, well, uh, my husband left $3,000 for a casket and $5,000 for a stone, and this is the stone. <laughs> there you go. The old pizza commercial used to say what? 
What do you want on your tombstone? What do you, what do you want on your tombstone? There's a lot of things that, that we can have on our tombstone, a lot of things that could be etched on that. But of all the things that matter the most in your life, what you need most, not on your tombstone, but on your soul, is these words, I know God. Not just know about God, but I, I know God. I know who He is. There is no comfort no solace at a funeral for someone to get up and say, man, you know, he knew a lot about fly fishing and he knew about God. There's no comfort in that. The comfort is when someone can say, he knew God. She trusted God. She trusted God. When life was falling apart, I watched her turn to the Lord. When his world came crashing down, I watched him turn to God. We've seen it with our eyes, not in the pew on Sunday morning only, but all the time. We've seen her. We've seen him turn to the Lord. We've seen them boast that they know God. That's the call. That's the call that God's trying to encourage Jeremiah to give to the people. God says a truly wise person will boast that they understand and that they know God. And what do we need to understand and know about God? Look at the next part of verse 24. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. This is how God exercises. This is what he exercises. This is what he's committing to exercise every single day all over the universe and in your life. He is committed to be loving, to be fair, to be kind, to be just, and he is committed to truth. Completely and totally, that's who God is. That's what God does. He is fair, he is just, he is loving, he is kind, and he is committed to truth. Nothing can change that. But what does that have to do with you? What does the loving kindness and the justice and righteousness of God, what does that have to do with your life right now in this moment? Look what God goes on to tell Jeremiah in verse 24. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. How many times have you said, I don't know what God wants me to do? I don't, I don't know what God's will for me is in my life. I, I've got this hard decision. I'm not really sure how to go forward. I'm not sure how to handle this. God says he delights in loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. In other words, God's desire, his desire for your life as a believer and follower of Jesus, and if you're not a Christian, God's desire and his delight for your life is no different. His desire, his delight, is that you would be loving and kind and gracious and fair and just and committed to his truth. So, let's see if we can hurt our feelings a little bit. Think about your post this week on social media. Have they been loving and kind and fair and just and gracious and committed to truth? Think about how you've spoken this week. Let me make sure I get my pronouns right. Think about how we have spoken this week. 
to our spouses, to our kids, to the girl at the register that didn't seem to know what she was doing, to the waiter that got your order wrong? Have you been loving and fair and kind and just, gracious and committed to truth? Because that's what God delights in. That, that's what he longs for us to have. And why should we do that? What's our motivation? What's our motivation for saying, well, God's loving, kind, and fair, and just, and gracious, and he's committed to truth, but eh, I don't know. I don't like how things are in our country, so I don't know if I'm going to do those things. You know? I don't like how my spouse or my kids are acting, so I don't know if I'm going to do those things. What's our motivation to not think that way? What's our motivation to not do that? Paul was writing a letter to the church at Corinth. It was a church that was filled with ordinary people from society. Um, probably more of a, a blue-collar church. There surely was some white collars, some smart folks, some politicians, whatever, but it was, it was mostly just average people. So Paul was writing to them something very important for them to remember, something for the down-and-outers and the up-and-outers to remember. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Of God, and because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Christian, if you are saved, it is not because of you. And it's not because of your parents or your grandparents or your pastor or a great hymn or a great contemporary song or a fantastic t-shirt or a bumper sticker. If you're saved, you're saved first and most by the glorious grace of God. That's your motivation. As we said last week, our motivation is not to walk into the banquet of God and say, hey, where's the best seat? Our motivation is we walk into the banquet of God and we fall on our face and we say, how in the world did I get invited? How did I get here? God, why have you had mercy on me, a sinner? You want to change things in our country? Start there. That's what God says. You want to change things in your home? Start there. That's what God says. You want to change things at work or at school or, or anywhere else in your scope of influence, then start with how did I get invited? Start with I am in Christ because of God. It's who He is. It's what He does. And it's glorious and it's great. And it's fantastic. Think about it. Have you ever had somebody do something for you that was unique and special, like that you didn't deserve? You know? I mean, maybe you were in a situation where you were at a banquet and, and you're, you know, just some person there, but you, you actually got invited up to the table, the main table. 
You, if you go, sometimes if you go to, I've, I've seen it at professional basketball games, you know, where they have a contest like, you know, right at the beginning. Uh, sometimes at baseball games too where, you know, if your ticket number is called, uh, you get to go, you know, sit in the box or go sit on the front row, you know. I mean, we've, we've had these moments in life where, I mean, with me it's usually food, you know. It's usually food, yeah. Like one of my buddies at my gas station pizza place, oh gosh, you got to love some gas station pizza. I mean, well, I, have, I love gas station pizza. And, and I, I, a few weeks ago, I uh, walked in, and, and I just said, um, I was like, hey, man, here's usual. I was like, yep, usual, you know, two slices, chicken, bacon, ranch. Yeah, that's good. I said, you don't have to heat it up tonight. I'm going to eat it cold. It's all good. So he comes over, and he's like, hey, man, pizza's on me tonight. And I was like, no, 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 no. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes there's not a lot of people that come in or are nice to me in a gas station like you. He goes, so you, you can have free pizza tonight, you know. Now, listen, my family would tell you I'm not always as nice as I am in the gas station, so, you know, I'm not putting a whole lot of attention on that. But I love getting free pizza, you know. It was nice. It was fun, you know. My stuff's usually free food. So, so what's your free moment? What's that moment when something happens and you're like, oh, man, that was great. That wasn't supposed to happen. And now, fast forward that to you won't spend eternity in hell. I think that's better than pizza. I think that's better than sitting at the table. I think that's better than getting your name on a plaque. When you are rescued and redeemed by God, you will no longer be separated from Him forever. You have been rescued from hell. You will live in joy forever. That is motivation not to sin, that post. That's motivation not to say that word that's in your mind to your spouse. We'll still do it. We're not Man, we have so much motivation to be fair and to be loving and to be kind and to be gracious and to be committed to the truth. And just to be clear, that will not make you weak. It'll make you the strongest person in the room. That's what God says. I saw an interesting story years ago about a a baseball card. I don't know if you know much about baseball cards. If you don't, um, just to give you a picture, uh, the most uh, valuable ba- baseball card has been valued at $3.3 million. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of dollars in baseball cards. So now you're all going to run home going, hey, I think I got some baseball cards at my house. You might, uh, and it'll take you a long time, but it'll, it'll be fun. Uh, I saw a story from a few years ago, and it was about this one card from 1982. And this one card is, is valued, uh, today it's valued at about $1,000 in, in really good condition. And it was a, a card that had three players on it, and across the top of the card it said, Future Stars. And so I want to give you a description of the, of the three players uh, on the card. The first player on the card is Jeff Schneider. Uh, Schneider played one year of professional baseball. He was a pitcher, uh, and he pitched in 11 games, and, and that's all we know on Jeff. The second player on the card is Bobby Bonner. Uh, Bonner played four years of baseball, and he played in about 61 games. Uh, Didn't do a whole lot. I think he had eight runs batted in and and no home runs. Uh, The third future star on the card played 21 years, appeared in 3,001 games, came to bat 11,551 times, collected 3,184 hits, 431 home runs and batted in 1,695 runs. He he did a couple of things. His name is Cal Ripken Jr. 
He also holds the major league record for most consistent games. Listen to this math. 2,632 games. Okay? That means he didn't miss a game for 16 years. A little more than 16 seasons. It's crazy. That's why he's, he's known as the Iron Man. Now, can you imagine if you met Jeff Schneider or you met Bobby Bonner and they said, yeah, I used to play professional ball you know, back in the day. Matter of fact, my baseball card is worth $1,000. They're probably not going to say that. Why? Mark Eberly put it this way. If you want to hold up your stats to God, you don't have a chance. But when you put your faith in Christ, his statistics become yours. And your baseball card becomes worth a lot because of someone else's stats. He goes on. Bobby Bonner and Jeff Snyder's baseball card is worth $1,000 not because of their statistics, but because of what someone else has done. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, did something for you. He loved you and gave himself up for you. He satisfied the penalty of sin. He made a way for you to no longer be separated from God. So, are you trusting your statistics or his salvation? What have you done with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? Which brings us back to our opening question. Is there a way of bragging? Is there a way of of boasting in such a way that it will help your soul find hope in the most difficult moment of life? Is there a way to brag like that? There is. And this is what it sounds like. I know Jesus. And Jesus knows me.